So today I've got a really special guest that I'm delighted to be talking to, Eleanor Mills. Eleanor Mills is the, the founder of the new Noon Online Women's Community, supporting women in midlife and showing everybody how amazing it really can be, but being supportive along the way. And, you know, Eleanor's story is quite incredible. I love the fact that she really epitomizes everything the Out of the Bubble podcast stands for. For those who don't know, Eleanor's had an outstanding award-winning career with over 23 years with the Sunday Times, including being editorial director of the Sunday Times magazine you know the list of people that Eleanor has interviewed is outstanding and to say that I was feeling the pressure today and slightly um kind of feeling intimidated is an understatement but I just know that she's got such a great story to share and her journey over the last year and a half has been a really interesting one that she couldn't have foreseen so this is what our school podcast is out stepping out of your comfort zone because you just don't know what's around the corner so grab a coffee sit back and enjoy so good afternoon, Ola. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a great pleasure. So you've had a real roller coaster of a ride in this last 18 months, it's fair to say. For anybody that hasn't heard of you, I'm sure they'll have read an article of yours, but for anyone that doesn't know who you are, how do you describe yourself and introduce yourself to people? Oh, I suppose I'm a kind of recovering journalist, I would say, or a kind of <laughs> recovering newspaper executive. I spent uh, 23 years at the Sunday Times. Um, and then last year, I emerged from that and I founded a new platform for women in midlife, which is called Noon, um, as in the middle of the day. And it's all about creating a community which can inspire women to find their next chapter. I just was coming across so many women who were feeling invisible, a bit kind of, you know, washed up as if they might be on the scrap heap at kind of late 40s, 50. And I felt that that was so not the case. Um, and yet there was so little out there which was providing a kind of counter narrative. So since I'm a journalist and what I do is I tell stories, um, I decided to try and pull together lots of those stories and try and make a community around a really inspiring narrative about what's possible for women in midlife. And I love what you're doing. We've got so much to talk about. And, you know, I really am very like-minded in the way that you really are championing and supporting women in midlife. But I'm really interested to find out about your journey as well through this, because we often talk about reinvention um, and kind of creating this second life for ourselves. And sometimes we, we, we're quite flippant about it as if it's actually a really easy thing to do. But, you know, you left after two and a half decades of being at the Sunday Times and, you know, this corporate world, this very secure kind of world to to having to almost find yourself again and standing on your own in your own kind of identity. How did that feel? Um, it felt pretty horrible, actually, to be to be brutally honest. Um, I had I had a real I think what saved me was that I had this I'd, I'd had this idea of doing noon uh, before I left the Sunday Times. And right. it was one of those things when you've been somewhere for a really long time. And I joined the Sunday Times when I was 26. So and I left it when I was 50. So that is a big chunk of one's yeah. life and one's identity. I mean, I've been with my husband for longer than I've been at the Sunday Times, but only just. And, you know, while I was there, I'd gone from being a kind of a slight kind of Wunderkinder kind of 26-year-old editor who'd kind of come in as the, I was the, one of the youngest editors on staff, and then to kind of being a bit of a veteran at, at 50. So it had taken up so much of my life. I mean, it was an amazing ride I'll never regret it it was at a point where newspaper journalism was really at its zenith um, before the um, internet and social media basically if you wanted to speak to the world you had to do it through a newspaper they were the great gatekeepers the great barons um, and I think 
when I so I came out of university in 1992 and um, I worked for the Observer and then for the Telegraph and went to the um, Sunday Times age 26 and the newspapers were where it was happening you know if you were a kind of um, a kind of excitable young thing and you really wanted to be have your finger on the pulse of the kind of world journalism was an amazing gig because you got a front seat at everything yeah. I got to interview everybody from the Dalai Lama to Theresa May to Mikhail Gorbachev to Charlton Heston Gary Lineker yes I, Dahl. I, I mean I was reading you your them. list I was reading your list of the people that you'd interviewed I was thinking as I walked into this today I'm thinking no pressure there <laughs> <laughs> Very well. So no, so that was amazing. So I did that from when I was really young. I was the main interviewer when I was like 26, 27, which was just an amazing jolly. I mean, there was just such a sense when I first started out in journalism that you were so young and it was so, it just felt so heady to be allowed to do it. You know, I felt like a kid in all those, you know, a lot of the meetings. I was running the news review bit of the Sunday Times when I was 27 because I was went there as the deputy editor and then my boss went on maternity leave. Um, and so it was, it, there were pretty major levers to have your hands on as a young woman. And that was, that was very exciting. Um, and, and also really interesting, I, I ran what were called the focus pages then for a while, which were the big um, stories of the week. So there was a murder of a young um, guy called Damalola Taylor in London yeah. um it was one of the very early stabbings and I remember being in charge of that and having a kind of team of about 15 different journalists in late we sent someone to Lagos in Nigeria and we tracked down all his family and we had people in South London and people speaking to the to the uh, politicians and to the police it was a bit like being a kind of army general you'd have all these people out kind of on stories feeding it all in and then you'd be in charge of how it all looked and how you were going to tell the story I did American elections and all that kind of thing. It was very exciting. So uh, that was a great run. But I think anything that you've been doing for a really long time, you kind of come to a point where you need to do, you kind of need to do something else. And certainly in my last few years at the Sunday Times, I was running the Sunday Times magazine by then. I was the editor yeah. and editorial director of the whole paper, which was which is still exciting. But newspapers had had waned in the kind of 24 years or so that I'd been there they've become much less primary in the culture so if you think about big celebrities now everyone from say Beyonce to the Kardashians even to Donald Trump you don't need newspapers you don't need the old mainstream media in order to speak to a very large audience yeah and I don't think quite newspapers have quite kind of um got their heads around that they still think that they're as important as they ever were and they still behave like that but the reality is is that all these people can go direct to their own audience and they don't need the newspapers to mediate it anymore so we went from being the great gatekeeper the person that everybody needed to talk to so I think actually increasingly becoming quite you know more and more irrelevant yeah. so it was a, I think for me it was a very exciting time to jump out of news out of newspapers and into new media um I was really interested in creating a different kind of media company one where you didn't have lots of dead trees being carted around the country in huge fleets of lorries and you know um 800 million pound printing presses and huge legacy pension funds I mean actually you can now set up a media company in a very nimble way as lots of people are busy doing on Instagram yeah. as you've done you know Rachel you've got a whole you have a whole kind of um ecosystem yeah. around kind of what you're doing and everything's become more niche I think and more specialized and newspapers are this great kind of generalized bundle um which I don't think necessarily is fit for purpose anymore so I was interested in all of that stuff and I also thought that there was a huge gap where things for mid women in midlife should be and weren't 
um, we can talk a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, where did the idea actually come from, from Neil, in the first place then? How did that kind of start to, to form in your head? Where did the inspiration come for that? Well, I had a friend who had had a really, really horrible time. Her husband had died. Uh, she'd also then been very ill with cancer and she had two young kids. And she, I remember her turning to me and saying, Els, I just don't feel like I can feel anything anymore. And we went on a retreat together. And um, it was a really incredible experience. It was just the two of us who went for a week. And it was so, it was so intense. And the, the kinds of... Um, kind of feelings and exchanges amongst this group I thought I was going to hate it I mean as a journalist it's, it's sometimes like my idea of hell to be kind of put in a group of people and have to listen to them all day whinging on I was like are you serious but I, but I loved her so I said I go and actually it was one of the most completely riveting fascinating things I've ever done and actually everybody else's stories were amazingly resonant lots of people were were really grappling with what makes for a successful life a lot of them were very successful on the outside and made money whatever but were very lost and atomized and lonely and disconnected really um on the inside and we're sharing all these things about all the kind of failures that they felt they'd been or this lack of emotional connection and I kind of realized during that week that that kind of transformation that kind of being part of that kind of change or that kind of really honest conversation about what was really going wrong was actually what I wanted to do with the rest of my my life and, yeah. and in a way that the idea for noon for a kind of community which um, catalyzed um, transformation and really asked people some kind of penetrating questions about what success looked like for them and how the next and how you could have a new phase of your life even kind of at, at 50. Um, I just suddenly thought this is this is really what I want to do. Um, my stepfather was a psychoanalyst a very eminent psychoanalyst and one of the last books he wrote was called um, Beyond Midlife and he always believed that there were a huge amount, there's a huge amount of psychological work and development that everybody did actually from about kind of 50 onwards. And this sense in our culture that everything was kind of very fixed by the time you got to midlife and you kind of succeeded everything that you were going to do and you kind of had become everything you were going to be was complete rubbish. And I remember reading his book and talking to him about it before he died. And, um, and that had always kind of lodged in my mind. So it's funny, isn't it, when a whole load of different strands in your life, like a kind of weird plait suddenly kind of come together um, and I and I and then I had this experience where I left the Sunday Times and um, I'd kind of been thinking about it and then they brought in a new editor um, and always happens in newspapers you know you bring in a new henchman and they want yeah. their own team and I was very senior so I knew that was probably going to happen and so it, although it was very it was it was very painful and weird to leave somewhere where I'd been for so long because of course mm. if you're there for so long it's so much a part of your identity and however much you know you know in your heart you need to go and do something else the reality of it was very horrible if I felt I felt a bit like I died actually I think yeah. it was a bit like a bereavement um yeah it was lots of just it kind of going over and over and over revolving around in your mind and just not really being able to process it um and so how did you get past that how did you how did you start to kind of get past that what what were the things that you did that that kind of changed that shift to excitement <laughs> very good question we should have been giving you a job as an interviewer um <laughs> I think the, the, the kind of process of it, I think it's really interesting, actually. Um, so when it first happened, when I was called into the room and told that my services were no longer going to be required, 
that was really horrible. I think that was like a kind of PTSD moment mm. where your brain just kind of keeps going back. And then there's a bit of you which is thinking, what what have I done wrong? What could I have done differently to not get to this point? And I, I think, again, that's like a bereavement. I've got a friend, he's, um, my friend whose husband died, said that she kind of kept going back and back and back and back and back in her head to the point in time where she could have done something differently so he wouldn't have ended up dying on that day. And so mm. I think that there's a bit of that that you go through. Your brain kind of tortures itself going, was there a point where I could have avoided this? That's really, really pointless because you're never going to win doing that. Um, yeah. And I think then you have to let yourself really mourn it. Um, I went off to Jamaica um, intending to go for like a couple of weeks and just sit in the sun and kind of try and feel a bit better. But unfortunately, lockdown happened five days after we got there. Oh, no. so, I got, so I got out of Jamaica. I, before, I was just feeling really desperate. I felt, felt very, very sad um, in the aftermath of all the Sunday times things. And then there was... Then there was this kind of weird thing because I was reasonably well known. So, and I've worked with so many people over the years that then it was a bit like reading your own obituary. So I yeah. just had so many emails going, Oh, you were so great. I mean, it was literally like I died as this person and yeah. everyone was kind of sharing their tales about me. So that was kind of both nice but awful. And then there were lots of people going, Oh, you'll be fine. You know, you'll fall on your feet. It'll all be great. Which again was not what you, not what I needed to hear because it just felt like massive pressure and I didn't really know what I was going to do and I, I don't know just the whole thing's horrible. I mean I think I was so sad for most of that time that my even my teenage daughters were nice to me. You know they'd kind of come down <laughs> they go, "How are you this morning, mum?" And I'd be like, "Okay," or snuffling over my cornflakes and they'd be like, "Oh God, she's crying again." <laughs> um, but I think I think it's quite important to go through that um and I tried to be quite open about it as well because I've always been quite a kind of confident cheerful person so I think it's also important to show people that you know even if you're quite a resilient chirpy competent successful type you can have a bad you can have a bad time and actually I discovered that being really quite vulnerable like that um elicited a very different kind of reaction and a lot of my friends I think it allowed people to I think it probably allowed people to get closer to me actually and to be and and to feel that they were useful in my life and as we all know when we're supporting other people it's quite nice to be kind of needed or feel like someone wants you and actually if you're quite kind of I've got this then it's quite hard for other people to kind of penetrate into your into your world so I think I really learned the value of 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 showing a kind of vulnerability which I think was really difficult for me yeah Um, definitely not part of my makeup and actually Um, you know the experiences you've gone through there are now tools that you can bring to noon because you've been through that you've experienced that reinvention is is a bumpy ride it's not an easy thing to do is it and I think we forget to talk about that part sometimes so I think it's great that you've had that experience and you're sharing it because it does show your vulnerability yeah, no, and I think that that's really important because I think if you seem too Teflon, I mean, I used to, when I came, so when I fell out of the Sunday Times and I was in this period of, right, what am I going to do next? I had this idea about doing retreats and transformation, but it was the middle of COVID, so it wasn't exactly easy to get people together. That wasn't great. Um, and then I started thinking, well, my core strengths really are, I think I, I think going through something that makes you really reassess. So I also then got COVID. So I came back from Jamaica. I then got really ill and I was in bed for two weeks pretty solidly. I didn't mm-hmm. go to hospital or anything, but I felt really rough. 
Um, and then I felt weak as a kitten for about a week or 10 days after that. It really hit me. And I think that was probably because I was at a psychologically low ebb. And while I was lying in bed, um, Chris Evans had been a good pal of mine when I was at the Sunday Times because he was kind of part of the ecosystem. He did his radio show from there. And I remember him telling, saying to me that when he got tipped out of Virgin Radio and he had his own dark night of the soul um, and professionally, that he, the thing that had saved him had been Urquhart Toller's The um, Power of Now. Yes. I've heard and, so much about that and I've never read it yet, but I have heard yeah. it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, me too. And I was like, yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, maybe a bit, a bit new age, a bit nonsensey. But I remember lying in bed with my heart kind of having these weird palpitations from the COVID and my temperature spiking and feeling really panicky and remembering Chris Evans saying the power of now. And I got it on an audio book on my phone and I lay in bed and I listened to Urquhart, who it's got a very kind of melodious Dutch voice. He's quite boring, but nothing bad can happening can happen while you're listening to that because it's just too soothing. So I literally for about a week just lay in bed listening to the power of now, and I think it was I think it was very healing. I think it really kind of took me back. Its basic essence is that you need to live in the moment. That everything else is just ego. And that really what you need to do is connect to, it's, it's really like a bastardization of all Eastern philosophy, which is saying there is a kind of bigger, kind of, we're part of something bigger. Um, yeah. There's a kind of powerful force out there which will help you if you let it, if you get rid of your ego and you connect with something greater. And I've never been at all a religious or particularly spiritual person, but there's something about that that at that time really kind of registered with me. And I must say, I started meditating when I started, when I was listening to that. And I've meditated every day since then for kind of for half an hour. I didn't have any lessons or anything. I just started doing it. And I found that amazingly helpful because actually one of the most difficult things from going from being editorial director of the Sunday Times to lying in bed listening to Urquhart Toller was knowing that it's almost like you have got like several extra limbs you know I'm so used to doing so many things at once yes. and juggling so many things and being you know having two different secretaries who looked after my diary and every minute of the day being kind of full of stuff and then yeah. you know, appearing on tv and being on the radio and just, just kind of constantly busy so it's very important for me to really slow down um and then having done that to grasp really go back to essentials and think okay well who who am I really you know what do I really value what makes me happy what is the kind of circle the circle of light where I feel the sun shining on me and I and and I decided that was about help, really helping people I've been chair of women in journalism for six or seven years and mm. I love that I love mentoring the younger ones um I've done a lot of charity campaigns. I really like the idea that you were being a force for good in the world. And so I decided that that's what I was going to try and do in my next incarnation. And I wasn't going to try and get another job in journalism. I was very clear about that. And I was going to try and make noon happen. And I had a lovely um, backer right from the beginning. He said, I think it's a great idea. If you want to do it, I'll back you. And so I then spent most of the rest of the lockdown reaching out to um friends and people that I'd known before or people who'd worked for me and we put together this amazing advisory yeah, board you have an amazing team behind <laughs> you you really have got I and mean, you've got some real powerhouse women um, involved in it which I think is exciting because I think you really have got a great backbone to it moving forward haven't you yeah I think so and, and what you but what you realize when you come fall out of one of those big jobs is you, to begin with you feel like you've lost everything I felt like um I was a kind of Game of Thrones, kind of like Game of Thrones general with wearing this huge black coat with 
you understand us because you like clothes kind of with gold lots of gold kind of insignia and yeah. and, and lots of fur and stuff and, and I felt that that was what I'd been as this kind of big editorial director woman and actually I actually at one one point in my head kind of really enacted taking it off and laying it down and there was something so freeing and lightening about not wearing that cloak that mm. you, it's like you, you're a bit like a weird alien creature underneath because you kind of don't know who you are without that cloak because you've been wearing it for so long but actually you realize the cloak's really heavy and it comes with a whole load of things that you're not supposed to do because you're wearing it and that it's quite constrictive and I've absolutely loved being able to use my own voice to speak out on the things that I really care about and to maybe some things which would be a bit surprising in a Sunday Times um, executive. So the Daily Mail accused me of being a lefty editor, which I loved having worked for Rupert Murdoch for years, because um, I, I took a stand on the Society of Editors and I stood down from the board because I thought yes. that they weren't being fair about race bias in the media and that there is bias and they weren't calling it out. There was a big row around the media yeah. interview. Um, and I stood down and that was massively humbling. I had... I've had half a million views um, on my LinkedIn page of my resignation statement and thousands, I mean, 15,000 comments from people of colour, mostly all over the world, mm. saying thank you, thanks for pointing out this, the bias. Yeah. And I found that really, really humbling because it obviously meant so much to so many people that somebody had actually called it as it was and somebody who was right in the centre of the belly yeah. of the beast had said, you know, this is what's happening. You're right. You're not mad. It is. It is biased. Um, and there's a huge lack of diversity. It does. It does um, amount to structural racism. Um, and I felt that really passionately. And I. It, I don't think those are things that I could have said when I was in my last job. So yeah. that felt. That felt very very freeing. And then and then the same. The, the vulnerability. When we launched noon, we launched noon on um, March the eighth, International Women's Day at noon. I was like a story. Perfect. Um, <laughs> that was um, that, that was also good because that was actually exactly a year since um, I'd left the Sunday Times. So I left the Sunday Times on March the eighth, twenty twenty, and my my swan song is I'd interviewed Cheryl Sandberg, um, the CEO of Facebook, yeah. which is on the cover of the magazine, and it was all about how she just got reengaged and about what was going on with Facebook. But again, that came out for International Women's Day, so noon launched exactly a year. After that, so for me personally, that was symbolic. Yes. Um, and, and in doing that, and, and then I we really thought we were going to launch in a very low key way, and no one was really going to care. And my um, my chief media officer, our chief content officer, was going, "Oh well, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll get a hundred Instagram followers, kind of if we're lucky. No one's going to care." She was trying to really try and manage my expectations, and I always thought, "No, I think this will connect." And then we launched, and immediately I was asked to do loads of media. I did a big media interviewing campaign which went all the way around the world and I wrote a piece for the Guardian about you know we're not over the hill at 40 which went just went completely bonkers mm. then I did a piece for the Telegraph which was very much more personal about what it was like to be made redundant at 50 and um because there were a whole lot of figures saying it was happening to a lot of people and I talked quite openly about um I, I was I had one moment where I was sitting on a bench with one of my best mates from where I am here in Kentish Town North London in a scruffy park drinking pins out of a tin <laughs> <laughs> drowning your sorrows <laughs> really yeah classy um <laughs> pins out of a tin on a bench with my one of my oldest mates a crossy bench literally like a tramp next city <laughs> on a monday and, just, and her going you're right and me just like 
completely um, dissolving, crying and crying and just going, it's a disaster. It's, you know, it's never going to work. What's happened to my life? And her going, no, you know, it's, it's going to be all right. Um, and I just thought it was important to kind of share that moment because actually Noon has, has been like, gone whoosh you know it really yeah. has and it's obviously really hit a it's hit a really hit of um a nerve which I was really pleased about because I've run a lot of stories as a journalist but we definitely tapped into something I mean you know because you've been doing this for longer than me but yeah I think a lot of women who feel so unseen and so kind of un- yeah. invisible and discounted and I really feel like I'm on a mission to say don't you don't you dare feel like that about yourself as, um, as we say at noon there's so much more to come you do this you've got this you know and also with a community of people around you to help you and some experts to get you through the difficult bits yeah will move you on to a happier place and you're not afraid afraid of tackling things as well and I think quite sometimes we can see midlife communities that are a bit fluffy or or that might actually just kind of not really tackle the the subjects that we actually all want to talk about you know you've had some great um expert advice on on people's sex lives for instance and it's subjects that we that actually we all want to read and and talk about and connect with but but nobody up until now is doing it so I love the fact that you're not you know your background has obviously given you that courage to to tap into that and and give women I mean, what they want to read yeah well I kind of I, I tell you what I know after 25 years of being a, a very you know big big editor is usually if I'm interested in it and if it's the kind of thing that if I went out for dinner with my good girl girlfriends and we were all like massively interested in chatting about it for ages then the likelihood is that 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 that's not just us that that's everyone yeah and one of the things I do know and, and I trust my instinct on this because I, I, you know, I, I was in a big job for a long time so I was quite good at reading the zeitgeist was that if I found something really interesting and compelling then there would be an audience for that um, yeah. outside and I was a columnist for a long time so and you kind of know when you tap into something that really pe- people really care about because of the response that you get and I must say that the response that we've had for, to noon and to the content and stuff has been unlike anything I think I've ever seen as a journalist or as an editor the the kind of just it's like you've, you've hit oil it's like Jesus starts to gush um, and what's interesting is I think you're right that we're we're tackling some subjects and writing about it um the kind of things that women used to talk about on what we call dark social so on whatsapp groups or on yeah. direct messages or you might say to your friend after you've had a few drinks and I think it's really important for those conversations to be able to be had in a safe space um, and written by really um, good you know really excellent writers because one of the, the other things I had in my network was lots of really good journalists yeah. um, and that you can therefore bring um, things which you know are important to people but which haven't been being explored in the mainstream um, and you could bring them to an audience in a really professionally done way and I think that that's what we're doing and and really bringing those dark dark social conversations into the light and what we're intending to do with Nina as we um, expand is to also have a kind of real members area and uh, make it a real safe zone so women can have those kind of conversations with each other and not fit and not be afraid that they're going to get kind of trolled by the wider internet because and obviously you did all this during this last year of the pandemic and so what's now that live starting the opening up again what's the kind of future plans for new because it's not just going to be an online community is it you do want to get out there and meet people and put events on don't you so what else have you got planned 
Yes, I mean, I'm desperate to do all of that because that's kind of where it started for me. And yeah. in a way, the whole kind of online thing was um, was, was like a bit of a detour. But actually, I think it's 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 kind of key because what we're trying to do is create a an online and offline community and take those um, make those kind of new conversations and, and bring them to life um, in in events and particularly retreats um, and online courses. And we've, we've got a whole. Um, series of different things coming up so one of the first things we're going to do is around um, what we call financial health mm. um because we're getting a lot of feedback um from the people who get touched the saying they want to want to know how to manage kind of their resources as they get older to get control of their finances yeah. and particularly i think women who've been you know divorced bereaved made redundant had kids leave home you know or, or you get an inheritance you, you you need to know what to do with that money so that it keeps you going in the way that you know you want to be kept going and so yeah. it's not kind of badly invested or if you do have a bit of money you want to know how you create a bit of a nest egg for your kids so maybe they can get on the housing ladder at some point or yeah. um I, my kids are just about to go to university so I'm quite interested in you know do we what, what do we do about that what's the best way of financing all of that so that's that's a really kind of key thing so we're going to be doing a whole series of um kind of one day events around financial health um, and then I really want to do um, these retreats. We're, we're going to do one up at Broughton Hall. Yes. Because the first one was going to be very soon after lockdown, which is just all a bit close, I think. So yeah. it'll, probably, it'll happen in September. And yeah. that will be a kind of reboot week. So we'll bring along all our different noon experts and then people, and we'll go through all the pillars. So we have a kind of series of what we talked about kind of sex but we have kind of health wealth career joy relationships sex i'm very keen on joy i think that nobody mm. says to women of our age that we deserve you know fun pleasure good times yeah. you know all the, all the good stuff i've always liked i've always liked party I, I just, but do you think you've yeah. now found joy again through this do you think that you have found the, the kind of thing that's really now giving you a lot more passion again it's lit something yeah, again i think you? so yeah i feel really i feel really energized about it i feel it i feel it's um it feels like a mix of all the things I like I get mm. to speak to lots of interesting ladies like you and um talk and have lots of conversations I think as an editor one of the things I really like is that you have all sorts of really by, by its very nature it can't be boring because if having a boring conversation is going to make a boring article that no one's going to want to read so your job is basically to have the most interesting chats you can um, with a whole kind of cult wide cast of characters. So I feel like I'm doing that again. That was always the bit of my job that I really liked. And and I also think that we could start some new kinds of conversations. I had a brilliant chat with some ladies called Second Act um, in the US who are trying to help lots of the women who've fallen out of corporate jobs um, become entrepreneurs and set up their own uh, businesses out there. And they're two ladies of colour and they were screamingly funny. They were great. And they've got this whole thing going about um, being age positive, um, which I like a bit like we've had body positivity. Yeah. And I think the whole idea about being age positive is great. I think that's yeah. something that we should really be kind of um, uh, doing. And I was speaking to the bias cut. Um, their, yes. Their, um, Just a campaign. Yes. Um, yesterday. And I think that there's a real, I think there's a real growing momentum around this redefinition of age and, you know, what is old and what isn't and, and, and just kind of reframing people's thinking. I love it that I love to think that she's um, so young and she's so passionate yeah. about this. Um, that, I thought that was great. Yeah. But I, but I think that there's a real kind of growing movement. I've been part of changing people's minds on, on quite a lot of issues. So um, as a columnist, we, we used to talk about you know getting more women to the um, the top of professions. Um, I was part of the Thirty Percent Club initiative. Um, I come from the generation where, you know we grew up um, when homosexuality was 
not seen as such a great thing in many quarters and that attitude really changed with our generation I Mm. I grew up in Soho and my stepfather did a lot of counselling of uh, patients with AIDS we had a lot of um, gay men who were dying coming in and out of our house to see my stepfather he was one of the early only psychoanalysts who would see them back then Mm. so I've always been aware of how you can change social attitudes and I think I've seen that in my lifetime you know we're we're now all having a big push around race again which I think is important we've seen it about around women around trans and I really think that the the way the last bit of the kind of diversity conversation a bit which is always forgotten actually is age, which is also a protected characteristic, and the, the completely dismissive and derogatory way in which older people are characterised in our society, I think is is really wrong. And I think that that's that, that's one of the next frontiers. So I've certainly got my eyes kind of you know on that, and I think that we can bring together a good coalition of all of us to um, to make some serious changes there. Um, Kate Muir, who's just doing this amazing um, documentary with Davina McCall about menopause. Yes. Yeah. She's a, she's a, and she's got this great book coming out um, and she talks about the menopause scandal. And I think she's really right that there's a huge disparity between the way men and women are treated when it comes to health and hormones. That mm. if you have diabetes or you have um, a problem with your thyroid, you get given insulin and thyroxine. If you're um, menopausal and you don't no longer have any kind of um, um, estrogen and progesterone and the right things running around your body, you don't get it. You can't get it on the NHS. And that strikes me as being profoundly unfair. So I think that there needs, I think our generation, um, you know, about the same age, aren't we? Um, Yes. Grew up expecting that our voices would be listened to and the things that we cared about would be on the agenda and that things would change. And I don't think that anything's changed just because we've got to 50. I think that there's quite a lot of us who are quite outspoken and not going quietly into that good night and can really create change and know how to do that and aren't kind of cowed by necessarily changing the status quo. Yeah, so I'm very I, up for leading that fight. Yeah, and I, I think actually, for, for me personally, I think I've, I've only just found my voice at 50. And I think I had yes. it when I was younger. And I think that's the same for lots of women when they get into midlife and they do start really kind of voicing their opinions and feeling strongly about things and feeling confident enough to to try and make a difference. So I think it's actually an exciting time to be doing this because it does feel like changes. There's a momentum going and, and I think it's great to be part of that conversation, is it? Yeah, no, I think I think that that's really true. And it, I mean, to be fair, I, it was something that I've been interested in for a while because at Women in Journalism, we were were very interested in the kind of the, the lens that that is shown that the media kind of um, throws, or the way that the way that the world sees themselves through the media lens. And I've been writing for a lot of years about how the, often the media is not a reflect, is directly reflecting mirror. It's a distorting lens because mm. of the kind of people who were running it. So if the whole thing is run by a whole load of posh old white blokes, which I'm afraid it still really is, mm. then you get a very distorted view, particularly around women and um, more diverse communities and those kind of things, because there's not enough representation of them um, at the top. And so I think that there also needs to be a shift in um, a shift in how we see ourselves and that that wasn't really being reflected in the mainstream media. So I think one of the things that we can do on Instagram or we can do on noon and we can begin to make a fuss about so that actually the mainstream have to take notice is say we want we're, we're well, we want a different kind of conversation we, we yeah. don't want to we're not good we're not prepared to be seen 
um, as uh, as kind of grannies walking down the beach, kind of holding hands, or you know, all those ridiculous stock pictures of what older women look like. I mean, half, nearly half of Generation X women um, don't have children. You know, yeah. I think a third don't have partners. So to call everyone who's has grey hair grandma is just insulting and wrong on about twenty five yeah. different levels. Yeah. So, that, so that there's all of those kind of more more nuanced kinds of things and I think that it's up to us to tell those stories about the women that we know and what they're doing because frankly the mainstream media are not interested because if, if I used to try and run um, articles or about kind of older women say you get something in occasionally but the editor would kind of go oh sounds a bit boring you know we've got anything a bit more jolly or, or a bit more glamorous by which he'd mean you know so they, they talk a lot about what they call brightening up the, brightening up the pages mm-hmm. which means you know putting someone in, in maybe in a squid skimpy swimming seat looking a bit glamorous which is going to titillate titillate yeah. the chaps yeah so yeah. That, that, then there's quite a lot of that and there's lots of that that goes on in advertising goes on in newspapers goes on in magazines and so that kind of sense of representation of who's allowed to be seen i actually think is really really important yeah. Um, so, how ambitious are you for noon then for the next five years? What would you, you know, how would you like to see it in five years' time? We've been speaking to the lessons too. I mean, my my vision for it is that it can become the black, the platform, the place for this midlife conversation, and that I hope that we can act as a very kind of collaborative kind of umbrella for lots of um, things in this space, and it will become the place to go for the kinds of um, discussion of topics that we're interested in Mm. Um, and I also think there's a real education piece to be done on um, kind of consumer brands because our demographic of women are I mean you know this because you're doing these amazing campaigns I mean drives me mad we've got the you know we are the we've got the purse strings and we're not being represented it's so frustrating that brands haven't kind of twigged onto that yet yeah, it's really wrong. So women um, 45 plus are behind 90% of all consumer purchases. Um, half of us are breadwinners in our family. By 2025, um, 60% of the world's wor- wealth will be controlled by women, mostly in this older cohort. So I also think that the, the brands out there where we're actually making a lot of the purchases need to start talking to us in a much, much cleverer, more nuanced way and not yeah. patronising us with pictures of the wrinkle cream or the dreaded tenor incontinence pants which I seem yeah. to get served up wherever I go and yeah. I just think there's a lot more to me than that I've just bought an electric car I love my technology you know yeah. I like a holiday um, yeah. and we we have some budget so I, I also think that there's a we're kind of pushing an open door there because although they love showing pictures of younger younger females it's actually all of us who've got the money so they're going to have to start changing the way they sell to us because we don't want to be sold to by um you know a lady in a red bikini draped over a car bonnet you know that's just not yeah. going to work if that, that's not going to make me think this is a brand i want to be part of yeah. and i think increasingly we're quite we're sensitive to that and we also know that we have a voice about it and i was watching robert Keston's show the other day and i, I usually love that i think it's great but i, I actually felt quite affronted because all the studio guests were white men Mm. it was like it was a total bro fest mm. and i don't think in 2021 that's okay women are 50 percent no. of the population why can't they be a bit more imaginative and be a bit more diverse in the, the guests that they bring on yeah. and as i was tweeting about it got a lot got, got a lot of pickups so i think that we do have a voice and we can use it to say hang on a second we're a powerful cohort with clout and we're not going to settle for this crap i love it what have you what surprised you about yourself through all of this journey in the last kind of 18 months so something kind of stand out that you were surprised by um 
it's been so, it's been a crazy roller coaster. I think what you have to get used to when you're you, you started off with this when, when you've been kind of inside a huge organisation institution, you get very used to you know you get a, you get a paycheck, you turn up, you know it's all it, it has its downsides, yeah. But it's but it's kind of structured and it's secure exactly. Yeah. So when I left the Sunday Times, I felt like all the scaffolding of my life had kind of been had been ripped away. And so what I've had to come to terms with, I think, is um is uncertainty. Mm. Um, living with uncertainty and um part of the the stuff that I do when I meditate is I try and really kind of like kind of breathe in all that kind of sense of uncertainty and kind of sit with it and feel feel okay about it because of course nothing in life remains the same and as we get older we we know that more and more that the only thing that's certain is that we know really that we know nothing that we're hurtling through space on a Kind of you know piece of rock which is spinning around and you know it's all pretty random that we're here at all so I think that's that I think has probably been the biggest kind of learning for me personally and also how lovely it's been to be at home more and your life I, the, other, the other day I was um I said to my daughters that I'd make cannelloni for supper because my older daughters right, she, they're, they're both vegetarian they really like cannelloni I've only ever bought it from the supermarket so I was like yeah hey, I'll make cannelloni so I'm standing there in the kitchen I've had quite a long day stuffing spinach mixed with ricotta into these cannelloni you've probably done it I've never made no I haven't I'm not I'm not so very cool. good at the kitchen <laughs> a bit like kind of like um bigger bits of uh penne yeah, yeah. Like, so they're kind of quite big and you have to stuff the stuff into it and I'm not really known for my patience I have to confess or certainly wasn't in my past life but I did manage to do it I filled like 20 of these tubes with a mixture and made a tomato sauce and stuff and did it and I kind of thought to myself I, I don't think I, I don't think I could have done that like a year and a half ago yeah. I just wouldn't have had the patience I wouldn't have actually been able to kind of stick it through I'd have got kind of frustrated and ordered a takeaway or something so I think that that there has been and, and I think that's really important oh, we were talking about wild swimming because I was swimming earlier um I think that there has been a sense for me in just kind of slowing down a bit being more aware of where I am looking at the blossom getting in the water and seeing the sun yeah. dappled through the trees and being aware of the light maybe that comes with also being being older knowing you don't have that much time left here just how lucky we are to be here yeah. on a beautiful day I think it's a real appreciation of the the kind of small things in life and you know how much I love my friends and how lucky I am to have a nice husband who still you know likes me after so many years when I know how annoying I can be <laughs> and um <laughs> you know and to, and also my guys have been doing um GCSEs and A-levels this year so they but they've been around a lot and so in some ways that's been a really kind of golden bit of family time which is really unexpected because before lockdown they were just off with their friends you know you'd see the yeah. occasionally ships that pass in the night but we've had lots and lots of lying around watching telly or chatting or cooking or and that's been um, I, I'll always be grateful for that for that yeah. time yeah and, and I think so many people can relate to that yeah, and just that sense of just slowing down. And I think it makes you, it makes me realise how so much of that busyness that people who are kind of superficially successful kind of have, you know, I said they're kind of the two people running the diary, you know, when when is there a stop? And I think you get addicted to that kind of, you know, what's next, what's next? Very kind of shallow, kind of very kind of shallow world, really, because you're not really taking, you haven't got any, t- you haven't got time to take anything in 
very yeah. profoundly. You're quite perfunctory often in the way that you deal with people. You just you just don't have time. And I think it's very egotistical and um, I don't, it's a very good way to be. So I think that I have learned to slow down a bit and be a bit more present and connect with people more and just kind of relish taking you know an hour to stuff spinach into catalog into cannelloni while my kids laughed at me and did their homework you know just it's just those kind of small things which actually I think I I really missed in the kind of my 23 years of frantic executive life because I had two daughters while I was also being a very busy executive and I would often work till one in the morning and I mean if I think back now to when they were very small I just large bits I just don't remember at all I was so Mm. tired yeah. So I, I don't think that is a, I think, if, you know, if you looked at me from the outside, you'd have gone, oh, my God, you know, she was she was so successful, so young. But I think that that, that had a downside. And you were saying that you feel like you've really kind of come into yourself Definitely. at 50. Yeah. I think I'm a much, I think I'm probably a much nicer version of myself than I was a few years ago. Yeah. I think I'm probably a bit kinder, a bit more, a bit more tolerant of other people's kind of failings but hopefully less arrogant um I feel like I feel like I've I've had a pruning um that I was like really massively kind of chopped back to this kind of root um yeah it's about connecting with yourself again isn't it you've had the time to really connect with yourself again which is you know that's so important isn't it I mean you say again I don't know if I'd ever really had time to connect with myself you know at all not like that prior to that because I'd just always been you know running on this kind of treadmill and valuing I think also kind of valuing external kind of measures of success I think it makes you really reconsider your own um your own drivers and where they come from I come from a very high achieving family with Mm. parents where it was also always slightly about you know so so kind of what what prize have you brought brought home you know what what's you know what kind of what have you achieved and so I think it's made me kind of unpick quite a lot of that and actually work out and I think that the big readjustment for me was working out what I what actually really made me happy well I love that you found noon and it's now a huge part (laughs) of you and I can't wait to see how it goes how can people find it where what's the address um so noon is www.noon with n-o-o-n dot org dot uk and actually these days if you just put noon into google it it, it comes it's up. there brilliant it's well there. i honestly i can't recommend everybody you should go and check it out because the articles on there are just amazing there's some really interesting articles and lots of support my last question eleanor i could talk to you for hours i ask all women the same question because i really want to encourage people to be kind to themselves so if you were to pay yourself one compliment what would it be oh gosh that's a good question um I th- I think I think I'm good at spreading joy. I think you know that's I I, I think I was I, I, that was always one of my good qualities, even when I was being a bit kind of mad and manic. But um, I think I have a capacity to cheer people up. People say when I usually when I come into a room, the kind of you know the sun comes out. Um, and that's always been that's always been kind of one of my qualities. And I and I hope what I really hope is that I can use that capacity to make the sun come out for a whole load of women you know like us at 50 and say there's so much more you can do this is so much the age of opportunity don't give up don't feel invisible don't feel unseen don't feel worthless there's so much great stuff to come and that's you know 
that, that's if I can do anything with that quality, that's what I'd most like to do, like to do. Perfect. What a great way to end. Absolutely love talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I know that everyone listening is going to go and check out new. So thank you. Pleasure. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Well, what an inspiring lady. And I loved talking to Eleanor. I could have talked to her for hours. You know, thank you so much, Eleanor, for sharing you know, with honesty about how difficult it can be. It's not always plain sailing when we say we're going to reinvent ourselves in midlife. It's not always a breeze. It is a roller coaster. And it can feel like we're jumping off a cliff sometimes. But the rewards, if we stick with it and really trust our instincts, can be immense. So um, I'm really grateful that Eleanor shared that with us all today. And I can't stress enough that they go and check out the Noon um, platform because it's fantastic. It's got a you know a breadth of information on there and some fantastic articles with some real powerhouse women behind it so i think you know it's going to be um, definitely a force to be reckoned with and offers all so much more support than you know that we so we can go and dip in and out of um, so i can't wait to see what events and what they've got planned later on in the year so watch this space um, but definitely go and check them out and uh, i'd love to know what you think i'll be back next week with some more inspiration for you but in the meantime have a great week <laughs>